Thanks for listening. Before we get started into this week's episode, we do want to put forth a content warning about some of the discussion ahead. This week, we're talking about some of the allegations surrounding the New Mexico State University men's basketball team, and that includes some discussion and description of sexual assault allegations. You may not want some younger audiences to hear this, so with that in mind, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. We started the new year with our two-year tradition episode now, predicting the big news stories of the year. And in other words, in this case, it was what will the headlines be for 2023 and the questions surrounding those headlines. So one of the questions from that episode is the focus of our talk here today. It was, what will happen to New Mexico State University's men's basketball team? And the answer, I think, was a lot more surprising and unexpected than many of us probably thought. We now know exactly what led up to the deadly shooting on UNM's campus that left 19-year-old Brandon Travis dead and 21-year-old NMSU basketball player Michael Peake in the hospital with a gunshot wound. Not only was there fallout from the big story at the end of last year, a shooting involving an NMSU basketball player and a few UNM students, But more prominently, there was another major story that emerged this year, accusations of hazing and sexual assault within the men's basketball team. Good evening. NMSU leaders are addressing the firing of basketball coach Greg Heyer as the hazing scandal there unfolds. Today, the chancellor and the athletic director described a basketball program spinning out of control. The allegations are among some of the most serious that you'll hear. At least three players are accused of sexually assaulting and harassing two players repeatedly over the last year. Now, it eventually led to a series of high-profile decisions. Not only have players left the team, some players were suspended. The head coach was also fired. There's an ongoing criminal investigation, administrative investigations, and a civil lawsuit. And most recently, with that lawsuit, a massive multi-million dollar settlement, something that Gabby you recently covered here for News 13. Yeah, and whether you're a sports fan or not, the story is big on a lot of levels, and we wanted to drill deeper into what's happened, the implications of some of the decisions here, and what happens next. So joining us today is someone who's covered the Aggies for years and has been following this story closely at our Next Star sister station in El Paso. He's also a fellow University of Oregon grad and a Durango, Colorado native. This is KTSM Sports Director Colin Deaver, who joins us remotely today from El Paso. Colin, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to come on and uh, be on with a fellow Oregon Duck. Yeah. Let's start a little bit with your background, just covering the Aggies. So how long have you been at KTSM following NMSU sports? And maybe what are some of the highlights that you've covered there over the years? So I first got to KTSM in May of 2018. So I just surpassed my five-year mark uh, with the station. I will say the vast majority of my time covering New Mexico State, and we cover them as well as UTEP high school athletics here in El Paso and in New Mexico, the Chihuahuas locomotive. We, I mean, we kind of run the gamut, but the vast majority of my coverage of New Mexico State athletics has been very, very positive up until November 19th of 2022. 
They made the NCAA tournament. The men's basketball team did twice uh, since I've been here in 2019 and 2022. I was there in Buffalo, New York in March of 2022 when Teddy Allen basically single-handedly beat UConn in the NCAA tournament. The football team um, has won a couple of bowl games in the last five years. They won one last uh, December in the first year under Jerry Kill. The baseball team has been to two NCAA tournaments since I've been here. So again, by and large, there have been very good things going on with the athletic department at New Mexico State. Obviously, you have the massive black eye that has been the last six, seven, eight months because of the men's basketball team, which again is the crown jewel, in my opinion, of the athletic department because of all the success they've had, because of how well they known they are across the college basketball world for the success um, that they have had. And you've gotten a chance in your work to really get to know, I think, some of NMSU and their athletic key leaders in ways that I think are unique. You know, one of them, I recall a couple years ago, you were driving athletic director Mario Mocha to one of those bowl games. Is that right? It was uh, this. Yeah, this was November of 2019. We traveled to Tucson, Arizona for the NMSU men's basketball team. They had a game at University of Arizona. Uh, interesting situation. I was going, he wanted to go and didn't have a ride. And I said, well, if you, if you want to go, the, the bus is leaving at, <laughs> at seven, seven in the morning. So he just, he hopped in the car. We, we drove there, we drove back, covered the game. The Aggies lost by 25 points. Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of the end of it. Definitely a unique situation. I don't think that happens very often, certainly at, like you we just talked about at university of Oregon. I don't think, yeah, you know, the register, the register guard reporters are, are going to be driving around, but that's, again, it's a small town feel. It's, mm-hmm. it's a mid-major university that maybe allows for some closer interactions um, between reporters and athletic directors, reporters and coaches. Maybe you don't see other places. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it's still incumbent on me and other reporters here to keep the relate, you know, you keep the relationship, but also you have to understand and everybody has to understand like, Hey, if, if things happen, like happen in the last eight months, I still have to do my job. I still have to report on it in a fair and, un, you know, unbiased way. So. Yeah. And, and the reason why I bring that up is certainly, I think it's important that you highlight that, but it, it, it shows that just sort of, it's something that doesn't necessarily happen at a lot of the bigger universities like you suggested. And even if you're not learning some sort of those inside scoop kind of details in a, you know, situation where you're driving the athletic director out, if anything, you're just getting a a longer opportunity to view that person's personality a little bit more about who they are. So anyway, I bring that up because I think it's interesting, maybe gives you a little bit more insight into how a lot of these um, moments have unfolded over the last several months. Before we get into more detail, big picture, how do you sum up this season for the Aggie men's basketball team maybe? And can you give us some local perspective? Do you think the impact of some of these incidents this season is something that has reached beyond the basketball team broadly into other elements of the athletic department? Yeah, I think, um, man, uh, to sum up the last basketball season in, a, in one word, I would just say tragic. So often you hear the term like dumpster fire thrown around in sports when a team has a bad year, but like this goes so much farther beyond that. Like it's like 
it's just tra- that's that's just all I would say. It's just tragic. I mean, you have with the shooting in Albuquerque. I know we're going to get into. You have a young man lose his life. You have four other people under the age of twenty one whose lives are altered forever because of what happened. And then the the hazing, sexual assault lawsuit. I mean, that that's another lot of you know five or six young lives that are going to be affected forever because of what happened. So I, I just think tragic as far as the rest of the university and athletics, I don't know that it really moved over to the softball team, you know, things like that. I mean, those are, they obviously know what's going on. They're aware of it. I'm sure the coaches for the other sports had team meetings about this, about both these incidents in terms of how you conduct yourself what you do on road trips, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of did the, you know, did this leak into other programs? I don't really think that 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 would be fair to say Uh, there was a coach on the women's basketball staff who was involved in a title nine sexual harassment case last summer that just came to light. I think in this recently in April, but that was completely separate from what happened with the men's basketball program. And he was let go after the end of the season. So vast major, I mean, again, I just think it's, it would be rash to say that this was filtering into other portions of the athletic department. So I want to start with that first incident to make headlines. Um, This was a shooting on the UNM campus. It involved a basketball player, Mike Peak. Can you just briefly recap for those of us so we can remember a little bit more what happened in this case? This was last November on the UNM campus, the night before a game as NMSU's team was visiting UNM for one of the two teams' annual rivalry games. Can you tell us what happened? So to tell you about November 19th, 2022, we have to go first back to October 15th of 2022. The fight, um, the football game, rivalry game between New Mexico State and New Mexico was in Las Cruces last year. There was a brawl between Mike Peak, uh, Marcellus Avery, who is also on the 2022-23 uh, New Mexico State men's basketball team, and a c- couple other people who were not involved in athletics at NMSU. They were involved in a fight with some UNM students, Brandon Travis, Jonathan Smith uh, were two of them for sure. I can't remember if Elisha Upshaw was there or not, or if he was just helping out friends uh, or if he decided to join them the night of the shooting in Albuquerque. So anyways, there was a big fight in at the football game, October 15th. Fast forward to November 19th, the early morning hours, Jonathan Smith, Elijah Upshaw, and Brandon Travis, the UNM students who were in that fight, obviously know that New Mexico State's men's basketball team is coming to play UNM at the pit the on the 19th. So early morning hours, they kind of hatched this plan with a 17-year-old female student at UNM who we have never named in reporting just because she is a minor. Um, I know some have. I, I'm just not going to say name her just because she is a minor. They get her help to basically lure Mike Peak to campus at 2 in the morning on November 19th promising to have sex with him in all actuality it's a ploy to get him alleged ploy to get him on campus so they can beat him up so to bring it all to wrap it up as quickly as possible peak ubers over from the team hotel at like two in the morning to unm's campus to meet up with this girl we all know now the three guys are waiting for him that would of course be jonathan smith elijah upshaw and brandon travis they ambush him in front of the dorms 
Elijah Upshaw is the one who is accused of hitting hit peak with a baseball bat in the leg. And then Brandon Travis is brandishing a gun um, in his face. Peak then runs away, uh, trying to get away with Brandon Travis chasing after him with the gun. You can see on surveillance footage as well as the ballistics report from New Mexico State Police that says Brandon Travis um, is alleged to have fired fired a shot first. Peak then pulls out his own firearm and fires back at Brandon Travis, shooting him four times. Peak was shot once in the leg um, while he was trying to run away from Brandon Travis. And as we know, Brandon Travis died from his injuries. Peak was um, again shot in the leg and injured. The other two male assailants. Elijah Upshaw, Jonathan Smith were arrested um, for their roles. Jonathan Smith took a plea deal in January. Elijah Upshaw is awaiting trial. I think they pushed it back to 2024 at this point, but I I could also see him. This is just my opinion. I could see him taking a plea deal in this case. And again, with the 17 year old girl, she was also charged with multiple felonies because she is a minor. It's been harder to kind of follow her journey through the legal system. Um, But I would imagine that if she, you know, she'll be on trial at some point soon or be, or taking a deal and important to note, obviously um, there were three NMSU players who kind of came to peaks aid that night. I mean, your buddy calls you and says, I've been shot. I mean, it, I think any of us would kind of do the same thing in terms of going and helping, helping their buddy out. But that was Issa Muhammad, Marcellus Avery, Anthony Roy, who went to campus that day to help peak after he had been shot there had, and then th- there was obviously some, police investigations as to whether any, any, anybody from NMSU would be charged. Peak was not charged with a crime. They ruled he acted in self-defense. And then those three players uh, within the last month or so, all the, the Bernalillo County district attorney said that they weren't going to charge any of them with um, a crime. I think that they'd been looking in to see if maybe they had concealed some evidence because they put the gun and his and peaks tablet into a Camaro that had pulled up that night. To kind of how I know this is getting really into the the details and the weeds of this. I just know the case details kind of like by the back of my hand at this point. But the long and short of it is that nobody from NMSU had has been charged with a crime in relation to that case to this point. I am glad you fleshed out a lot of those details there because I felt like one of the big questions became after this happened, you know, the decisions that were made by other people on the team, staff members on the team. I know we reported that, you know, multiple items of evidence were essentially with other administrators or um, staff with the team after this happened. Good evening. New Mexico State University tonight released its independent investigation into how the school handled a deadly shooting involving Aggie basketball players on the UNM campus. While the investigation by an Albuquerque law firm found NMSU did not break any laws, there are some troubling findings. State police say four NMSU players later showed up in this Camaro to help peak. The weapon, so we believe those are in the yellow Camaro. State police try to find the gun and get answers from the coaches the next day. But according to a state police report, it took officers hours of dodged phone calls and chasing the team bus down I-25 to collect evidence, including the gun, which an assistant coach had. If anything, you know, while we know that there haven't been really any criminal charges for any of the NMSU side of things, it really speaks to this idea of control and whether or not that there is any control over what obviously ended up being a a deadly situation. And so with that in mind, I guess I just wanted to ask you as somebody obviously who 
intimately reports here about NMSU. You know, how big of a deal with was this? This this obviously led to the suspension of Peak, the cancellation of the Rio Grande rivalry games, which we don't really know if they're going to come back in the same way that they are. Team though was able to carry on for a little bit more of the season, but did this at all feel like things with the team normalized after a lot of these decisions were made surrounding the shooting as in was the team kind of able to move on you feel like from this situation i think they were trying to but the entire time it felt like you know that gif of the old man standing in front of the burning house and he's like nothing to see here everybody move on that's sort of what it felt like Hmm. for three months after this happened covering that team you have people from all sides saying who did what and who should be punished for this and that and the other it was just bizarre to think that to see a team carrying on the season after that i think that's kind of life as a whole in this country is we after you know after gun violence we just kind of move on um unfortunately but that's that's more or less what happened you talked about control chris Mm -hmm. that's the clearest thing to me from this entire thing is the lack of control that the coaching staff had throughout this. I mean, you can say, you know, you can do nothing about a kid breaking curfew. You can say that, you know, you can't, there's nothing you can do about a kid bringing a gun on a bus if you don't know about, but that just the fact that any of this happened as a whole, like, yes, people are going to make their decisions, their own individual decisions. But to me, the fact that those decisions are something that a player thinks is even okay to make that is where the culture aspect of this, the infected culture is what the former chancellor at NMSU called it. That's where this comes into play. And that's where I think the control, that control aspect with the coaching staff, Greg Heyer, obviously losing his job for multitude of reasons because of it, because there was just, there was none, unfortunately for this team. Everything that I've learned is that our men's basketball program has been infected with bad behavior, a culture of bad behavior. There have been some egregious violations of our student code of conduct, and there have been essentially other despicable acts. That's a good segue to my next question, which was the next big headline involving the men's basketball team include those allegations of hazing and sexual assault. This quickly led to suspensions and the team suspending operations. Can you recap how that started? And at what point did you get the impression that this story was something that wasn't going to fade away quickly? Immediately, you don't see a team cancel their season like that. And I was Chris asked me this on the phone when we were setting up the interview. And I've been I've Googled, I've tried to rack my memory to think of a team that has shut down their season midseason. The only thing that I can think of that even comes close is in the early 2000s, Baylor's men's basketball team. One of their players shot and killed another one of their players. Coincident. It's weird that it's it's UNM involved in this. He's a former UNM player, Patrick Dennehy, and the Baylor coach at that time was Dave Bliss, a former UNM coach. Just super, just very interesting that UNM kind of is operating on the periphery of both of these things. Yeah. Um, but that in that situation at Baylor, it was I think it was the start of the 0304 season. They told Baylor that they were not allowed to play a non-conference schedule they started their season in like january with just big 12 play but as far as like teams shutting down the season just 
bringing it to a halt. I have never heard of something like that happening. So that gives you the idea of obviously how serious this is, the school taking something like this very seriously. So in terms of the details of the case, February 10th of this year, like 7 p.m. on a Friday, we just get this e- you know, email, hey, the season, the, the season has been postponed indefinitely. Start you know, talking to some sources and found out that night that it was because of hazing and sexual assault allegations. February 12th, which is a Sunday, the police report comes out kind of detailing a little bit of what happened with it. And to kind of wrap it up a little bit, February 14th is when Greg Heyer gets fired. They officially say that we're not playing another game this year. And then in April, uh, April 19th of this year is when we finally found out the official names of who was involved. I you'd heard names, but you didn't want to report them because it is uh, because of the sensitivity of a case like this. But the, players involved in terms that were being hazed. It was two players, Shakir Odenewu and Deuce Benjamin, who filed a lawsuit along with William Benjamin, Deuce's father, against three players, Deshaundre Washington, Dr. Bradley, and Kim Aiken Jr., two coaches, of course, the former head coach, Greg Heyer, former associate head coach, Dominique Taylor, and then the university at large, um, NMSU. They filed a lawsuit alleging hazing and sexual assault. I mean, some of the allegations in this are absolutely terrible. I mean, players, I think uh, Shakiro Denewu being held down at the back of, a, of the bus, having his anus digitally penetrated by the players as he was held down. Deuce Benjamin being held down in the locker room, stripped naked while one of the players more or less fondled his genitalia, being asked to strip down naked in a hotel room on a road trip in front of some women that were in the hotel room, which again is Again, shows the lack of control alleged that if that's, if that allegation is true that the program had, if you're having women in the lot in a, in a hotel room on a road trip, that's just not something that should be happening within a college program. So to add to the point about control, but just these allegations, I have never heard of them happening at the collegiate level teammates doing it. The teammates you hear about this every once in a while at the high school level of a senior doing this, to a freshman and it's awful and it's terrible. And my point is here, I've, I've heard of it happening at the high school level. I've never heard of it happening at the collegiate or professional level, which I think is what made it that much more shocking is that kind of, these are effectively adult men who should know way better than to be doing something like this. And the, the lawsuit did state, I, I want to say on like the first page that stuck out to me was, you know, this is beyond hazing. This is battery and sexual assault, which made it, I think that the allegations that more, much more egregious, Right. but that civil lawsuit that came out of this, notably those two players who you named, they made these allegations that their three teammates had been hazing them, harassing, and even sexually assaulting them over a course of months. Their claim is that, you know, the head coach turned a blind eye and basically didn't do anything about it. These two players, they showed their faces and told their story to the public on camera in an emotional news conference back in May. Were you there? And can you speak to how those players, you know, said they were feeling about going public? Yeah, I was there. Definitely a really upsetting day um, just as a human being to see these two guys that, I mean, all they wanted to do is play college basketball. Like you, I've known, I've known Deuce Benjamin since he was a freshman in high school, like to see that kid breaking down 
because of you know what is alleged to have happened to him. It was just, it was really hard to see Deuce. I mean, broke down in tears multiple times during the, his statement to the media, to the public that day. Growing up, I've always, I've always wanted to be an Aggie. My dream turned into a nightmare real quick. And I never expected this to happen my freshman year. Emotions ran high during a press conference as Las Cruces native Deuce Benjamin and redshirt freshman Shaq Odunewu spoke publicly for the first time. There's a part of me that hasn't been the same now, and I want people to know that. I've changed. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Come on. Finish it up. Being able to go through this pain isn't easy, as you can see. But all you can all you can do is weather the storm. All you can do is weather the storm and stay positive throughout this whole process. And I just I just think it's it's if you're a human being, like it's hard to it's just hard to see somebody who's clearly been through a lot in a situation like that. And yeah, I just think that. I think that they more than anything just kind of wanted a little bit of justice for themselves. I can't speak to exactly how they were feeling in that moment, you know, saying standing in front of the world, kind of talking about what had happened to them in a very vulnerable situation. And, but I can't imagine it was easy for them. And I, like you said, I did want to touch on the, the point that you brought up about the coaching staff. The coaching staff had according to this lawsuit been told multiple times by Shakira Odenewu, what had been happening to them. He told Dominique Taylor, Hey, this is happening. And Dominique Taylor allegedly laughed and said, what do you want me to do about it? He told Greg Heyer with his AAU coach on the phone with him, what was going on. Heyer apparently told his, again, allegedly according to the lawsuit, told his AAU coach and Shaq on the phone, he's going to do something about it. All indications, according to the lawsuit, according to Shaq was that that didn't happen. So yeah, I just think it's, it's two young men who were, just trying to figure out it's kind of like the best way to move forward with a really awful situation. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to do that, but they did it their way. They did it as best as they, they possibly could. Neither of them answered questions that day. Um, they just kind of gave statements and then their lawyers um, answered questions on their behalf. I don't know if we'll ever get a full, I guess maybe chance to ask them and sit down and, and, and have questions answered, but, I hope we do because I would I would like to hear kind of more of their story and kind of their perspectives on it. Yeah, just really truly a, a remarkable news conference to to see that all unfolding and and to really yeah to read that lawsuit to see the allegations there. Uh, it is it is something else. We know the lawsuit was recently settled for eight million dollars, and that is a huge number. And it seems to really make a statement itself. Have you heard from maybe any of the parties involved? Obviously, settlement conversations are really locked down. There's not a whole lot we can learn on the peripheral as reporters about the sort of inner workings of that stuff. But I wanted to just ask you, you know, have you heard sort of any response from any of the people involved or surrounding this, any perspective about what that settlement says? Is there a message that maybe you've learned or heard from hearing that? settlement amount. So first of all, I, I, and I, I definitely will answer your question, I, but 
this is my first time basically dealing with a, a story like this, like a lawsuit settlement as news reporters. I've guarantee you, you guys have <laughs> dealt with a few more of them than I have $8 million to me seems like a lot for a settlement. Like it is, is that a, okay. Okay. Like yeah. it's, Again, this is my first one, so I I, I didn't want to be like, oh, that's that's the crazy amount of money, but it seems like a crazy amount of money for a lawsuit settlement. Yeah, it definitely so. is. It certainly is, and I think we know that, particularly Gabby and I, from the perspective of seeing a lot of lawsuit settlements with Albuquerque Police Department shootings over the last uh, ten years, particularly around the era when the Department of Justice first arrived here in the city, uh, which was around you know the settlement agreement happening in 2014 to reform the police department. There's been a lot of lawsuits. Yeah. That gets settled for that range of, you know, usually in the lower, I don't know, two, 3 million, you know, occasionally you'll see a, a lawsuit settlement go up to eight. But the point is, is that is a very significant number. And this is also a very different case. It's not a shooting case. It's not right. about police conduct. This is about, yeah, sexual assault allegations within a university. So a really different yeah. situation. As an investigative reporter in this room, I'll chime in real quick because I did give perspective in my reporting when I reported on the settlement. I looked up, um, at least here in New Mexico, you can, it's public information and you can pull settlements like this. This was, from what I could tell, the highest uh, university settlement in NMSU's recorded history that I could find. But yes, significant dollar amount for sure. Okay. I'm glad that my feeling, my gut feeling was, was right. But yeah, obviously to answer your question now, Chris, like as we just went over $8 million is a massive amount of money to provide in a settlement. It's around 4.125 million for the Benjamin family that Deuce and his father, William will split. And then about 3.8 million to Shakira Odunewu. I think that if you are settling a lawsuit for $8 million, they're just not, they don't hand out $8 million. They don't just say, here you go, run along. Like, we don't want to talk about this anymore. If you are settling a lawsuit for $8 million, something really serious happened. And it's unfortunate to see on social media, what have you, some people on the, on various sides of this, maybe try to downplay what happened because part of this lawsuit settlement is that Greg Heyer, Dominique Taylor, Deshondre Washington, Dr. Bradley Kimmaken Jr. Part of the lawsuit settlement is that they don't have to admit any guilt, liability, what have you, as to what allegedly happened. Again, that's part of that's part of the settlement, right? They this university, the the risk management division will pay out this large lump sum to the alleged victims, and everybody more or less kind of wipes their hands clean clean of it. That's the unfortunate part of this of of settlements, but. To me, if you're, again, if you're handing out $8 million to victims, like something very serious happened. We did not get a chance to speak with either of the Benjamin um, family members or Shakira Danewu. We did speak with Jolene K. Youngers, who is the attorney for the Benjamin family. I asked her if she felt like this was justice because like it's, there's, yes, you're getting money, you know, a, a large sum of money, but these guys don't ever have to admit that they did anything wrong. You know, is that justice? And she said, it's more or less, it's, it's the best justice that they will be able to get. Um, that's just how the, the civil courts work in this country is justice comes monetarily. She added that the Benjamin family justice to them would obviously be that this never happened. And 
Deuce Benjamin was still playing basketball at New Mexico State. His father was still a proud alumni. He's in the Hall of Fame, William Benjamin is, at New Mexico State. He helped NMSU make the Sweet 16 in the 90s. Yeah. So this is a family that like cares a lot about New Mexico State University. So that's another unfortunate part of this is their feelings, probably, I would imagine, towards the university probably are forever changed. As far as hearing from the other side, Greg Heyer's attorney sent out a statement uh, you know, once once it had been all settled, more or less saying he's happy that he can get back to coaching again. He denied all the allegations. I have heard from a couple of the players, Dr. Bradley, Deshondre Washington. They have more or less denied all all guilt and said that's that's about it. I have not heard from Kim Aiken or Dominique Taylor through multiple requests for comment from them. But yeah, I, I just I think that's to kind of like wrap it up. That's more or less what we've heard from both sides of it, but to just hammer home the point again, like you don't settle a lawsuit for $8 million if nothing happened. And to speak to that point, we know the New Mexico attorney general says it is still investigating this case, the hazing sexual assault allegations to see if anyone will face criminal charges for that. Meanwhile, the former head coach, like you mentioned, Greg Heyer was fired amid the various investigations he since landed a new job and NMSU, it seems like, is working to basically rebuild this program. Can you give us some perspective on what that means for NMSU's basketball program going forward? What do you think it looks like? So on the first point about the New Mexico attorney general saying it's still investigating for criminal charges, that's what they told me as of last week. I know they've told your station uh, in May that um, Raul Torres said the prosecution, I think the quote was likely. So we're still waiting on that. Certainly, I don't think the attorney general is, again, this is my opinion as a, as a sports guy. I, I don't think the attorney general is going to put himself out there with a statement like that if he doesn't think there's something behind it. I can't go off anything other than what he said at this point because that investigation is still ongoing. You mentioned Greg Heyer. He was on Saturday maybe the best news dump of all time announced as the head coach at mineral area college in Missouri, Saturday morning, 8 AM mountain time while Twitter wasn't working. And Damian <laughs> Lillard was in the midst of getting potentially traded from the Portland trailblazers. So a lot of things going on when they released that information. Yeah. It's a year, one year contract, $50,000 for Greg hire at that university. I actually reached out to them for comment and, their university or school president is the one that responded to my email with answers to questions saying that they felt like their vetting process of Greg hire was good. He was forthcoming with information about what happened. I asked, you know, how things would change if, you know, he was maybe charged as part of the attorney general's investigation. He said, you know, that their school handbook has policies in place for if that happens, but they weren't going to, Innocent until proven guilty is more or less what is more or less what I'm trying to get out here. They also said that they reached out to previous employees. This was in their press release that they'd reached out to previous employers about it. I had asked them about it. They talked with Mario Mocha, New Mexico State's athletic director. He says that more or less he just answered the questions that they asked of him. I did not get the impression that he gave any kind of major endorsement for Greg Hire. Just more or less answered the questions that were asked of him. So interesting that he lands a new job days after the settlement, which was another key point. They said they didn't hire him until the settlement came through. We'll see what happens if, if he is part of any 
potential criminal charges. But I guess moving forward for New Mexico State, they hired a new head coach in Jason Hooten back in March. There will not be a single player or coach from the 2022-23 team on the upcoming roster coaching staff for this season. It is a complete reboot of the squad. I'm not surprised by that. Obviously, something like this happens. You maybe need a complete change of scenery for everybody. I actually covered Jason Hooten a few years back when he was at Sam Houston State, and I was in Bryan College Station. So I got a pretty good idea of how he runs things. I genuinely think he's a he, he is a good guy. I think he's kind of a, a good person to move the program forward based on how, you know his values, his just who he is as a person, but. I think there's going to be some challenges that he's going to face this season that have nothing to do with him because of what happened under the previous regime. So for sure, it's just a, a really remarkable thing. Incredible to think that, you know, you, you basically are rebuilding the basketball program from complete scratch. It's understandable. I think why, you know, obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about the issues that were happening there, but is there anything else that perhaps you would add about this that we didn't ask you directly about? I don't know. I think, um, I think we did a pretty good job of covering it all. The last thing I, I do want to say is just like specific to the shooting in Albuquerque. Like I said a little bit earlier, just, I actually get a really kind of emotional about it sometimes like lives changed, you know what I mean? Like a family like lost a 19 year, like Brandon Travis is 19 years old and he's dead. Like his family has lost their, their son, their brother, Mike peaks. He's alive, but his, you know, I don't, his life has changed forever. Like because of what happened, he's injured, you know, his, his, maybe his leg is never the same. Those, those two other kids, Jonathan Smith, Elijah Upshaw, their lives have changed forever. That 17 year girl's life has changed forever. Deuce Benjamin's life has changed forever. Shaq's life has changed. Those three players lives who allegedly, committed all, you know, these hazing sexual assault, like like their lives are changed forever. And that's the most unfortunate and just tragic part of this entire thing to me is just stupid, dumb decisions made by young adults that are like going to affect their lives forever. And that's just, that's just like the upsetting part of it to me. And I don't feel like anybody did a good enough job of like this, because, and it's, I'm not blaming anybody because I was in it too, right? Like you're just covering a story day after day after day. And it's really easy to like kind of turn off the emotions of it. But like when you, that's the thing that guys I've had a chance to like step back the last few weeks and months is just like, God, this is just so tragic. It's just so terrible. Like, and it didn't have to happen. None of it had to happen. It was all preventable stuff. And to your point, sports, well, to me, at least, you know, as a sports fan and for all of us in the room who, you know, do appreciate like the, I mean, sports covering sports is a, you normally like a really exciting thing, right? It's something that unifies us sure. all and, and it's exciting to cover and see, you know, the accomplishments of a lot of these young athletes. And to your point, yeah, it, the last few months have been really tragic in in a lot of lives. So Colin, we really appreciate your reporting and sharing your local insight with us here in New Mexico. It was a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and uh, yeah, just really appreciate it. 
again, a big thanks to Colin Deaver, sports director over there at KTSM for giving us a lot of background about this situation, how this has all unfolded at NMSU. I think one thing we did not touch on involves the athletic director, Mario Mocha. He actually was uh, given a contract extension amid all of this. Yeah, that contract extension is for another five years. Colin did mention a lot of the coaching staff. It's a complete reboot, it sounds like. So this is definitely a story we will continue to follow as well here from New Mexico. Uh, We'll link to some of our previous reporting as well. And feel free to also follow us on social media. I'm at gburknm on social and gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email. I'm also chris.mckee at krqe.com and at chrismckee tv. Thanks for listening.